0: Scribes Journey is supported by our patrons. Join them today at patreon.com slash Scribes Journey.
1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of The Scribe's Journey with the Three Scribes. I am the Calm Scribe, Travis J. Grokan. I'm being joined with my fellow scribes. We'll introduce themselves now and tell us all how they're feeling this evening.
0: Well, I'm L.J. Stanton, the pedantic scribe, and I'm in California, and I'm cold despite that.
2: You, you shouldn't be cold in California. And <laughs> I'm I'm T.R. Alby, and I am the Oddball Scribe, and I'm doing fantastic. Uh procrastinating a lot, but yes. This editing has been challenging. So it is what it is. So
0: that's why we're writers, not editors. <laughs> when right. it comes down to it, once we get to the revision phase, it's just like, uh oh, <sighs> somebody else do this.
2: Wasn't it perfect the first time? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if <Yeah>. only. <laughs> Wouldn't that be
1: great? I would lo- I would have so much more stuff written beyond the what was it? I think it was 227 <laughs> pieces I've got written when I was digging through my files the other day. Wow, someone's
0: an overachiever.
2: Seriously, well, I, mean, I, I feel I feel, sort of, <laughs> I feel I feel inadequate right now. I'm like, yeah, to some be stuff clear. from high school back here, but no. <laughs> to be
1: clear, those aren't all novels. Still feeling feel inadequate. It's okay. Don't worry.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, it's not the size of the word count that matters, Ted. It's the oh, uh, no, it's how you talk. use it. It's how you <laughs> use the word. Wait, <laughs> sorry. All right, no comment. There you go. <laughs> Okay, so we are actually here to record a professional podcast. We do have a theme that we're going to be going over, overarching through this entire season. And as we go through and you see what each of the episodes are titled and what they're about, that theme should become pretty clear to you. But tonight's episode is about ideas and conceptualizing. And the book of the month that we gave last month as a recommendation to read, to kind of prep yourself, is The Science of Storytelling. What did you all think about it?
0: It's fantastically fatalistic, and I love it. It opens telling you that everything is meaningless. You're all going to die. Everyone you know is going to die. The universe is going to end in heat death. Everything is pointless. And we decide to tell ourselves stories to try and make ourselves a little bit more sane in this absolute insanity. And I love that opening. That is like the most solid opening to a book on science ever
2: (laughs) talk about gripping and hooking your reader right off the bat Yeah, pulls you right in and he starts talking about hallucinations and how like your brain isn't seeing the world it's only transmitting stuff from your senses i don't know if i agree with like the hallucination thing it's not like it's an lsd trip or something but you know (laughs) how do you know I, I wouldn't, you know, but I have some friends who do. and they they talk about lines, but we won't go there. I get what he's saying. And he kind of relates it to how we write stories and presenting the different senses in the text that people are, are reading. But he was going pretty deep there. And it was intriguing to continue. At the end, I was like, okay, I get it. But a paragraph, maybe two or something explaining it. And then, I don't know it Let's was a bit this. verbose
1: and it did have some yeah. flowery language language written into it but the hallucination thing i to a degree i agree with that because i know i have watched this study years ago about how we only see approximately, I think it was 20% of what we look at. So when you look at an object, like a glass on your table, your brain will pick up about 20% of what you're seeing and then your brain fills in the rest and as your eyes are already moving on to the next thing. So your brain is filling in using memories, using what you've already seen previously in your life, um, which is why we often will mistake shadows for different things.
0: Your brain has autofill and sometimes it says duck when you mean something different.
1: (laughs) Uh, Mine doesn't make that mistake very often.
0: Yeah, but it definitely is a case of it goes to show that you yourself are an unreliable narrator, which means that you should be considering that fact. When you have a disagreement with somebody else about something, when you are writing characters that are having disagreements about something, when you are building new worlds and you're trying to figure out what senses someone would use to perceive the world first with, um, or even just how culturally. I liked how he brought up the fact that, you know, in different cultures, you can perceive things differently because of the way that you were raised. So you have that. His example was in Russia, rainbows have eight stripes because they've got additional words for blue that we don't have. So they see an extra color there that other people in other parts of the world don't, which when it comes down to things like that, where the language you use alters the perception you have of reality, I think it's very difficult for you to actually then state unequivocally, you know, this is this color. This is this thing. So... I can kind of get on board with the hallucination aspect of things, or starts going down like the quantum physics route and all of that kind of stuff, where it just gets
1: really weird. But yeah, so overall, I think I did not finish reading the entire book because there was a lot of tangents that my brain went off on and considerations and ponderings and things. And it's not a book that, to me at least, it wasn't a book that you can pick up and just breeze through and say, okay, I've read that book and set it aside. You have to dissect it. You have to pull it apart. You have to ponder it. You have to spend time with it. So that's what I intend on doing. But that does bring us into our topic tonight, ideas and conceptualizing. Why don't we start by discussing where we get our ideas? LJ, do you want to start off on letting us know how you find your ideas and where your inspiration comes from?
0: So I steal them from better authors. I'm almost kidding on that one. Um, So... Inspiration comes a lot for me from immersing myself in other people's worlds. So if you read a lot of Neil Gaiman, it's going to influence what you want to write and what kinds of things that you're thinking about. If you watch a lot of comic book like TV shows and whatnot, you're going to want to work with potentially superheroes or supervillains or that kind of deal. But on a kind of grander scale, when it comes to asking where I get my ideas from, I look at it and break it down into a couple of different questions. What are you passionate about? What are you curious about? What are you fearful of? What makes you angry? And what do you love? And then when you have the kind of basis of all of those things... And then you go and ask yourself questions like, you know, can you turn it around 180 or, you know, add the yes and concept from improv or ask yourself, you know, what ifs around those concepts, you've got a story right there
1: a great way of looking at it and I find for myself that's the same thing most of my stories ideas come from a very similar start they all also come from just a out of the blue shocking kind of thing that'll pop up like hey this would be a really cool story idea or the marriage of a variety of different things that I've seen throughout the past little while will kind of blend together and oh you know what if I connected those dots there'd be a really kind of cool concept here that I can play with but a lot of my stories come from the fact that because of the accident that I was in I deal with uh, PTSD anxiety and depression And anxiety, I've always said, if there were personified, would be a wizened old man with a long white beard hunched over on a cane, shakily wandering around with watery blue eyes, constantly saying, what if, what if, what if? And that's one of the ways that I got, or I get a lot of my ideas, is from this old man where when you have anxiety, your brain likes to have conversations that will never exist, play out scenarios that will never exist. And each one of these scenarios and conversations only serve to beat you down and make you feel worse and worse and worse. So what I started doing was turning that into a what if question. If my brain was saying, well, what if the car veers off the road and you get into a horrible accident and you lose your wife? Well, that's probably not going to happen. So now that we're down that road, why don't we go with what if the trees were suddenly to come alive and uh, run across the street and start throwing cars through the air well now there's an idea for a story and that's something that i can play around with and take all of that nervous anxious energy and put it into building out and starting to conceptualize this initial idea that i kind of had so there's a variety of ways that i come up with my stories but a lot of them are playing around with the
2: what if question how about you todd mostly it's random I mean, the series we're writing, it was just a bedtime story that my son was like, dad, tell me a story. And I said, all right, fine. So I came up with a random story about a mouse and a dragon. And there's another time where he was sitting at the lunch table. It's like, dad, tell me a story. And I came up with a fairy tale story about this thing called the Grumbly Tumbly. And it's never-ending appetite. And it turned into a fairy tale, which I told fully to him. And then afterwards, I was like, oh, shit, I got to write this down. It really just comes from random places. I mean, what if is definitely a good way to looking at it as well. Again, I read an article. It was about a, someone wanting to put a space hotel. By 2027, they want to ha- put a hotel in space. I was like, well, how are they going to deal with all the junk in space? And then the idea was like, okay, well, I know how they're going to deal with this, the junk in space. And I just started putting it all down. A lot of my stuff is just random stuff, kind of like me. <laughs> <laughs> so if I'm picking up what we're all kind of laying out on the table here, it looks like
1: strokes of inspiration kind of come from anywhere. You can have this idea that pops into your mind that you don't want to start playing with. But it seems like playing with the idea, actually getting an idea that can turn into a story is really centered around questioning everything. What angers you? What makes you feel love? What scares you? What if? Why would they build a space hotel and what would they do with the trash with it? So it's the questioning and it's looking at what is before us and pulling it apart and starting to dissect it and play with it in our mind. It seems to be kind of distilling almost a little bit of how we get some of our ideas.
0: Well, because without asking questions, questions create chains of thoughts. They create changes. If you don't ask questions of what happens to these characters or what happens in these situations, you know, it's Ted, the how are they going to get rid of trash? How are they doing these things? If you don't ask questions of a situation, you have just world building. And you can create some really cool worlds, but world building doesn't make a story. It's just a really good element to your story.
1: But and again, that's not to say that you have to question everything. For myself, there is one of my favorite horror stories I wrote. It was called In the Shadows, where I created one of my favorite villains called Prekna. It came about because my wife and I were going for a walk and a cool fall night The leaves are rattling down the street. It was windy. It was a spooky kind of vibe and feel to it. And when I looked in the corner of a house, it looked like there was this little creature huddled over wearing a big puffy jacket. And I jumped back. I was like, oh, what is this? I realized it was just a bucket seat from someone's minivan with a garbage bag
2: sitting on it. See, it's a hallucination. We're going straight back to the to the book. Yep. That's Check exactly that it,
1: right? And it was that that I was like, oh, wow, that's really... And again, I guess it does kind of come back to the question of like, well, what if that actually was a monster? Yeah. And then I started <laughs> playing with that idea and I came up with Prekna and these all these other creatures and I'm actually working on a part two of that story. But yeah, so inspiration can strike out of anywhere. I think that
0: part of it is making sure you're always open to it, especially if you are kind of between stories or you're not sure, you know you want to write, but you're not really sure what you want to write. Making sure that you are open to inspiration striking you because it's not always like lightning bolt, surprise, this is what you're going to write and it's amazing. It can often be the little things that you kind of sit and stick in your head for a little while and do the, okay, well, maybe... Yeah, let's give that a try and play around with that.
1: But yeah, that's the thing is like these ideas can come rapid fire, but there's people struggle to get ideas. And then there's people like I think three of us that our struggle is getting the ideas away because we're focused on this story. This is a really cool story. But what about these other 30 things that are floating around? So Ted, when that happens, how do you keep your focus? How do you manage to juggle multiple ideas and not lose them while you're still working on the story that you're working on?
2: Well, I mean... I'm going to say the humorous answer. Of, of, I take my Ritalin every morning, but the, really to keep focus, I keep it in a file. All these ideas are in its own separate folder that has pictures that are organized you know, in a specific way, files with characters that could possibly be in it. you know, Because randomly, even while I'm working on this, you know, I know in the back of my mind that I want to work on one of the stories that I'm not working on now. But you know, for me, I got to keep the focus. Otherwise, I'm never going to get anything done. I can't wander off to another story because I know with myself, I never get back to this thing. That's the tough part because regardless of whether or not you, I want to, which I know I do, I uh, don't want to lose where I'm at because otherwise I'll never get back to this story that I'm trying to finish because otherwise I'll just be very unorganized. So you have a file to keep yourself focused so you don't lose it. What about- I keep it all
1: my ideas there. Yeah. Awesome. What about you, Altra?
0: The ideas that are worth keeping, I definitely, I write- down and make sure that they're in like a cloud file or something so that it's the here it's down and I will deal with it but usually once I've kind of picked an idea I become a dog on a bone on it I have to finish it and nothing else exists it is just that thing and I will write it and it will be finished and it will be done but if I do happen to get an additional idea or something that doesn't quite work with the story you know like a short story that might work for the characters but definitely can't make it into the main plot all of that just gets written down in that file to do later or when I do need that break so I think that it's A matter of trying to balance out taking breaks for your mental health and for your creative recharging and yet not dropping a project entirely if it's something you're still motivated by. So finding ways to make sure you're still focused and keeping that focus, which I just come by naturally, unfortunately, because I'm the type A personality that really could probably use a little bit more of the... uh... attention deficit at times.
1: <laughs> well, and that's a good point. So I do very similar things where I keep copious notes. I've got the notepads. I've got the voice memos. I had a kind of a scattershot approach to getting all this stuff down, but I would always write down the ideas, even the ones I wasn't too fond on because it might turn into something down the road. So I've got no end of story ideas and concepts and things that I can work on. And if I do get bottomed out on one of the stories I'm working on, I can flip gears and go into something else. But one of the things that I started doing was using a program to keep track of things. So in this program, I've got one file that is story concepts and ideas. The second file is works in progress. So what I'm currently working on and what stage that they're in. The third file is completed works and what their status is. So if completed doesn't mean completed, it could just be with the editor, it could be in revision, it could be in editing, it could be in a variety of different things. So it tells me where those stories are. And then I also have the final file, which is what has been submitted and what's the status of the submissions. Can it be farmed out to someone else? Is it being locked down by this one submission? When am I gonna hear back? All of those details. Because for me, with my memory issues, if I have a really good idea, my brain will bat it around like a cat with a ball constantly if I don't wanna lose it, because that's the only way I can't lose it until I get it down. And so getting it down frees that space up because the more ideas you have, the less space you actually have to do your actual writing. So that's where having something that I know is like, it's backed up, it's in a cloud, it's on my computer, it's safe. I can go back and check in on that. And if I'm working on the line of archonomists, And book two is already has a ton of notes for it. And book three even has some notes because I'm writing this scene like, oh, it'd be really great if this character does this in the next book, then I can go to that file and throw down the notes and this is what I want. So that's what I started doing to try to keep myself more organized and more focused, because if I don't, I can't focus. But then that comes into is we take down our notes, we keep these ideas down, but life happens. How do you all make sure that those nuggets of gold are not going to be lost into the mist of time?
0: I back up everything to the cloud. I I love my cloud, partly because I end up using it to be able to go between my main computer and my laptop for health reasons. No tech is purely safe and whatnot. There's always a chance that something terrible is going to happen and you're going to lose everything. So after I've completed a manuscript, I have it saved in multiple places and I print off a copy because... Just in case, I have a very coffee-stained manuscript presently that if everything else was lost, I at least have that.
1: That's good. A backup that you can go to. And what about yourself, Ted? How do you keep your ideas safe?
2: I don't really use the cloud. So I have like four or five USB little storage drives that I store things to. One's Darth Vader, one's Boba Fett. I think, you know, between a, an epic bounty hunter and a dark lord of assists, they'll protect my files really well. I also have a few other ones that I keep in the safe, just in case if there's a fire. I mean, make sure to, I update them on a regular basis. So thing that I may have been working on is backed up, because it would suck not to have that backed up when I wrote something really great. But I agree with the paper sense. I mean, thinking about copywriting, I always do that as well turn off something, send it to myself, store it, put it in that safe, just in case, especially when it's a finished piece. I do most of my writing
1: freehand, actually. The line of Archonomas I'm doing on stream, so I'm typing it out. But most of my stuff I write freehand in books, and then I dictate into the computer. So I've got those. I also do a cloud backup, and I also have thumb drives that I use, and a, an external hard drive that I keep disconnected so people can't hack into it. I use Plotter for outlining and notes and stuff like that, which is backed up to the Plotter servers. And I also use Scrivener for writing my stories, and that's backed up to the Scrivener servers. So I've got multiple angles that I can do for going back and be able to reaccess my work. So we are going to pause uh, quickly just to talk about our next topic of conversation for next month and what our next book of the month is. Our next topic that we're going to be covering next month is character development. And Ted has the book that we
2: have that's a recommended reading for character development. Right. So I bought this in 2005. I'm very proud of it. Can't wait to read it. Finally, it is uh, Characters, Emotions, and Viewpoints, Techniques, and Exercises for Crafting Dynamic Characters and Effective Viewpoint. It's done by uh, Nancy Cress, And uh, apparently everybody else has a copy. So that's spot on.
0: We're ready for next month. <laughs> All right,
2: yeah, We are.
1: So this topic that we're covering tonight is ideas and conceptualizing. So you do have an idea, you've played around with it. How do you conceptualize it? How do you build it into something more than just an idea? But it's also, in my mind, a recommended thing to take a couple of extra steps to kind of fill out the concept of what you're working on and conceptualize where it can go because you can have a great idea, but it could go a million different directions. So you kind of need to know which direction you're going to point that off onto. So uh, LJ, do you want to start us off on the topic of conceptualizing?
0: Yeah, especially when you're working on a project that your end goal is to publish it in some capacity, it really is important to kind of get a concept and conceptualize it after you've got your idea. You know, for example, looking at the book that I wrote, The God's Chronicle of the Dying Sun," I went and asked the questions of, you know, What if I wrote a book set in a fantastical version of the Middle East? What if old pantheon gods just appeared one day and proved without needing faith that, you know, gods are real? And then asking those ripple questions of what happens after that, you know, and then how do I build a culture around, you know, magic and horses? Those are all the ideas at the core of that. But you take those and you start branching off to get your concepts and you're going to start finding themes when you get that way too. And once you start building out on those questions and branching off and seeing where the ripples go and writing all of that down, because that's super important, you're a writer, write things down. If you do that, you're going to find something else that's really, really important. And that's your elevator pitch that you need when you are going to be pitching your stuff to either publishers, agents, or just bookshops that you want to sell your book to. And that is stuff that's further down the road but it never hurts to get that started at the very beginning.
1: Yeah. The more later work you can do now, the easier it's going to be to build your things out. But that's the thing is you have to play around with ideas and concepts and your original objective that you have as you're going through the different themes and come up with different ideas and conceptualizing, like LJ said, that may actually shift. And you may realize that that's actually a secondary objective and that's going to lead them on the path towards this much grander objective that came to me because I was brainstorming and playing around with this.
2: Oh, I mean, I agree. An idea is just the basis, right? You have to have some place for your characters or even just the concept, maybe just the idea could just be a world. You have to come up with the, the things that kind of flow around that. And obviously, all those together become a story. I mean, a lot of it is this research. You know, I want to make sure that if it's factual based, that the things that I'm thinking that the idea is around can actually happen unless I'm doing something very you know, far fetched or very deep sci fi type concept. So doing a little bit of world building as well. I mean, again, oh, you're yeah. not
1: doing all of your world building, but you're you're laying the foundation, you're laying the groundwork for all this work that you're going to have to do down the road.
2: Yeah. And, you know, the idea of the story for this whole universe I'm writing started with a bedtime story that my told my son. The idea was the characters. And then after that, I kind of took the characters and said, well, what situations can I put them in? And those ended up becoming more specific. I got into the character development, right? Got into the world that they were in, who were his antagonists. And that created the story that, you know, I eventually wrote.
1: Yeah, and because that can be one of the hard things, is conceptualizing. I have an idea for a book involving my daughter with all of her stuffed animals, and that's the idea. I'm going to write a kid's book with my daughter. She has several stuffies that she absolutely loves, and they are going to be doing a thing or a series of things, and it's going to be exciting. What that stuff is, I don't know. I'm still playing around with ideas. I'm still brainstorming. I'm still running concepts through my mind, and I'm in very much in this conceptualization stage. But that's kind of what we're talking about with having an idea and then needing to build it out. So another concept that I find that really works well is the spine method of writing. So the spine method is laying out just the basic ideas and beats of where you want things to go, which are once upon a time and every day until something happened, because that happened, because that happened, because that happened, until finally, and now everyone lives happily ever after and now the world has changed because of this method so if i'm looking at the story of my daughter's toys once upon a time there were toys that could do things and every day they would play with my daughter until one day they got blown away by a windstorm because of that they had to find their way home because of that they ran in troubles because of that they needed to seek help from wildlife in the forest until finally the wildlife was able to help them get back home and now they make sure to keep the windows closed every time there's a windstorm so i've not outlined the story but i at least have a concept this has led to this has led to this has led to this and finally this is what's happened and then you can take that and begin brainstorming and pulling out more ideas and more questions so that's one method that i find if i'm having trouble conceptualizing something to play around with those ideas
2: i guess i've been using the spy method without even realizing it for most of the ideas i get that here's where i need to start and here's where i want to go and then kind of once i have that basic bridge from a to b i kind of take that and then expand it into a full outline yeah, you know, I never realized I was using the spine method until we started talking about it. So.
1: And that Genius. proves
2: my exactly, and that
1: proves my point that writers tend to be natural storytellers. So you can pants a story, no problem, and you probably know how to hit those beats. But having an outline, knowing what outline to hold your story up to, if it's to Pyramid, Fichtean's Curve, or the Hero's Journey, to make sure you've hit those beats is an important thing to know. You can't take the cheats until you know the path that you actually need to be going. That being said, anything that you laid out an outline doesn't say that it's written in stone. If you lay out the highway and you get in your car and you start driving down and you're headed to your end destination and you see a really cool, dark, spooky looking exit, there's no saying you can't go down that dark, spooky exit and end up at a different destination. Or I'm definitely taking,
0: I'm taking the spooky exit, 100%. I've been informed I'm not taking the spooky exit, I'm taking the safe exit.
1: (laughs) (sighs) LJ, do you have our homework for the month?
0: Absolutely, especially given that we were just talking about it. It is to go and take the spine method and apply it to your story or apply it to your newest upcoming project, your latest idea, or even just to the last book that you read or show that you watch, because it is highly and keenly applicable to any and every story. So it's a good exercise to practice it on anything and everything.
1: Very well said. And it's a great way of breaking down. I see people that ask how experts are able to break down television shows or break down movies and be a critic. And the spine method in looking at a television show or a movie is a great or a book is a great way of looking at it and getting yourself into that aspect of being able to break down how a story is done. First look at what is the once upon a time and build things out like that. And it's much simpler than trying to pull the hero's journey out of a story and you realize that it's not a hero's journey story. It's a different outline. So thank you, LJ. Thank you, Ted, for being here. It has been a fantastic talk about ideas and conceptualizing. I hope you have all had some, gained some insight, some ideas. This has inspired you a little bit. I know I'm feeling inspired to go start outlining a whole pile of new stories, (laughs) which I won't do.
2: (laughs) Stay focused. Mm -hmm. focused.
1: So do you have any parting words before we wrap up for the night?
0: I think that we covered everything we needed, to.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go outline another book. No, I'm kidding. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We are done with our chat for tonight. So go sharpen your quill and get back to writing. episode of scribe's journey has been presented by waxial productions incorporated and remixed by tr albe